I have one memory of this and it was <laughs> it was I was probably I was young like I was playing like rec league soccer and I was scoring too many goals and my dad would he like implemented this rule that if the goalkeeper put the ball down and the ball was in play I couldn't just go steal it from her and score and I was I remember crying on the way home from the game and just being like I don't understand why you won't let me Play. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Youth Inc. Um, we have an awesome episode for you today. Before we jump into that, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. Of course, we're right in the middle of March Madness this weekend. We had the Final Four. You know, a, a, another story that that really jumped out at me that someone sent me over the weekend. You know, I've been involved in, in a lot of youth sports. Of course, we've talked about it a lot on our episodes and with our guests. And, you know, so much of it is fun. And so many of the stories are about watching your kids develop and coaching your teams. But I'll tell you, I, I've firsthand seen my fair share of just crazy, crazy parents and referees and coaches losing their minds in the parking lot. And don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here like I'm some choir boy and I, I unfold my folding chair in left field and sit there and you don't even know I'm there. I mean, I... If anyone's ever been to my games that, you know, you, their kids hear me when I'm coaching and I'm on my kids and, and I'm into it. But, you know, my rule has always been like, I, I don't really interact with the other coach outside of, you know, good game and handshake. And I really don't get on the, the, the refs or the officials or the umpires, whatever the sport is, you know, unless, unless for whatever reason, I feel like they're doing something to take the way, take away the game from the kids. And I saw an article that came out about Minnesota legislators that they're considering passing legislation that would punish parents or coaches or, or really any adult who loses their minds and loses their control at these, at these youth sporting events with a fine up to a thousand dollars. And it's a way to kind of discourage this behavior and, and really, you know, incentivize families and, and parents to be like, Hey, there's kids around act the right way, act accordingly, or else we're going to get involved now. It's no longer just kicking you out or no longer the umpire ejecting a family sitting behind the, the backstop arguing balls and strikes. Now, you can be fined up to a thousand dollars. And, you know, at first I kind of laughed at it. You know, you, you, there was a story again of, you know, kids in a basketball game and their families following the officials and the referees to their cars and throwing popcorn at them as they walked out of the gym and just all this crazy stuff. And, and, it, and it got me thinking last, a couple of weeks ago, we took my 10 year old son's baseball team to Houston, Texas, and we were getting ready for our first of what would be bracket play. And there was a game before us, a team from Miami and a team from Houston. And it was a really, really intense game. So we're kind of standing along the fence line waiting for this game to finish. It finishes with a balk. Now it's 10 year old baseball. And then you know, the one team's trying to get the third base runner to mess around with the pitcher. He was righty. So he's right in front of his face and the kid balks and the game winning run home. And that ends the team from Houston's tournament. And they're in their home city and the team from Miami storms the field. So our kids now walk into the fence and we go to left field to start warming up and getting ready for our game. And all hell breaks loose. They're in the middle of the diamond. Parents have come out of the bleachers. Coaches are in each other's face. They're screaming obscenities. Some of the parents are trying to get the kids of both teams back to their respective dugouts. But these parents, it never really came to blows, but my first instinct was like, I'm going to walk over there and see what's going on. And I walked over and I kind of got a good glimpse and I was just glad I had nothing to do with it. But as an observer, you know, it just reminds you at the end of the day, yes, it's intense. And yes, everyone has a lot of vested interest in time and everyone wants to see their kids succeed. And no one wants to see their kid or their kid's team have, you know, the quote unquote, you know, have the game taken away from them by a bad call or by a coach or by an umpire, whatever. But at the end of the day, to see parents, and adults literally fighting, fighting, and, and oftentimes physically at youth sporting events, it, it just blows my mind. You know, in all the times that I've gotten mad or all the times where I felt something, you know, a bad call or a bad decision or a, a, a coach on the other team was out of line or something, never at one point did it ever cross my mind that, hey, this this needs to turn physical and this confrontation needs to, to escalate. So I, I just... I, I found this, this, I hope this passes. We're, we're going to follow this story here on you think we're going to follow whether Minnesota legislators are able to pass this, these new laws. And, and again, a thousand dollar fine because you lose your mind at one of your kids soccer games is pretty significant in the big picture. So I, I found that interesting. I thought it was so relevant to kind of discuss 
here on You Think, um, because this is all the stuff we're trying to uncover, the good, the bad, and, and everything in between. We are so lucky today to be joined by Sam Mewis, midfielder of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, and her father, Bob, um, for the first time to be able to be joined by both an athlete and their parent at the same time and be able to kind of hear shared perspective of, of stories and, and upbringing was was a real treat and, and something we've been really looking forward to bringing all of you guys um, here on You Think. As always, thank you so much to our presenting sponsor, Invisalign. Invisalign is the number one doctor-trusted brand, having transformed 12 million smiles over the past 25 years. Invisalign gives you the opportunity to make a trusted decision that can build confidence for your child in their future. Find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation with Sam Mewis and her father, Bob, here on You Think. Well, we have a really special edition today, special episode of Youth Inc. For the first time, we've interviewed a lot of parents. We've interviewed a lot of athletes and, and children and gotten their unique perspectives on both sides. But for the first time today, we will be joined by current Kansas City Current and U.S. Women's National Team, the 2020 U.S. Female Soccer Player of the Year. Also, I made sure I told Sam, Sam Mewis, and I told Sam that we'd also get in. She's the co-host of her podcast, Snacks, which in a second, I'm going to let you speak about Sam. But the real treat, no offense, is that we are also <laughs> blessed today to be joined by Sam's father, Bob Mewis. So to have both of you here together is just super cool. So first off, thank you guys so much. Oh, thank you for having us. We are so excited. Yeah, I know. I've, I've read a lot about your family. I, I've seen a lot of your father's interviews and read a lot about you and your sister, Christy. For, we're going to get into all of it for anybody who doesn't know the family story. The first pair of sisters to ever play on the U.S. Women's National Team together. Um, before we get into that, though, snacks. I want to hear about it, Sam. You've been doing it for a year. You said you didn't think anybody would listen. And now here you are a year later and you're officially a podcaster. So tell us about it. I know I am officially a podcaster. My good friend and teammate, Lynn Williams and I um, are doing a podcast snacks with just women's sports. Um, we started doing it about a year ago and we kind of give updates on what we're doing in the soccer world right now. We'll talk about recent games. And then we um, usually have a guest on who's another player in the NBCL or from the national team. We chit chat with her. Um, and then we have like a, a fun section. And what we really wanted to do was try to keep it um, real and talk about things that aren't so easy to talk about. So we've had a lot of discussions about race and LGBTQ and things that we feel like are going on in the world that we want to shed light on and get perspectives on. So um, it's been a, a really, really fun journey. We think it's a fun podcast and uh, our next season is coming out, I think on May 9th, but don't quote me sometime in May. So we're excited to start recording for that season soon. So thanks for the the plug. Of course, we'll be on, we'll be on the lookout as a fellow new podcaster. I appreciate the grind, but as I said, we, we are just so thrilled to have both you, Sam and Bob join us today. I know you're and of course your sister, Christy, she couldn't be with us, but I just think your family brings such a relevant conversation here at you think our entire purpose and the entire kind of journey we're on with our viewers is exploring the world of youth sports through the parental lens, through the lens of the athlete, the child, um, you know, in this case, you know, a, a dynamic high level elite female athlete and, and, playing youth, uh, soccer growing up. What did that experience look like as a sister, right? And Bob, you raising two girls who while on the surface may appear very similar, but I'm sure along the ways had their different likes and dislikes and different paths. We're going to cover all of that. And I sit here as a father, you know, father of three, I have a young daughter. So I have a lot of questions for you, Bob, because I don't know what I'm doing. I have two <laughs> boys. So we, we, I just think we have such a cool conversation. And I think your voice is so relevant to what we're doing here at You Think. So uh, where I want to start, and I'm going to start with you, Sam, take us back to the beginning. You're growing up in Massachusetts. Talk to us. I think the youth soccer scene and just the, the youth sports scene in America has really changed from when I was growing up, from when you were growing up to now, the way I'm raising my kids in the scene. So take us back. What, what was that life like for you? Was it always soccer? Was there maybe some other sports sprinkled in that you and your sister did? Just... Give us a little backstory. Go back to Massachusetts now and tell us what Sam Mewis was doing playing sports as a young girl. 
Yeah, I I mean, I loved soccer. My sister and I, I remember watching the national team play on TV and I remember immediately kind of being so drawn to that and, and realizing that that was even possible. And if it was possible, I, I wanted to do it. Um, but we were just so active. I mean, we are both our parents are athletes. So we did all sports. We both played basketball in high school. Um, we did swimming. We, I mean, we were always just kind of like playing outside with our neighbors and it was a very um, open and kind of free and just active childhood. And as I guess, as we got older and started to get more serious about soccer, it got really busy. Um, and it, we always wanted to go and we always wanted to do it. Um, but I think my parents actually did a really good job of making sure that every time we had something big, they would ask if we wanted to do it. We were never really pressured into that. So we definitely had this really fun and really open, um, active athletic childhood, but it, there wasn't a lot of pressure on us, uh, to keep going down a certain path or to, to always be the best at anything. And I think it's so important and, and to have, to have your dad, Bob here to kind of go back and now get his perspective again, is just such a, a cool conversation for us here. So Bob, you, when you hear Sam talk about how she never felt that pressure, she always felt like it was, it was child led athlete led the parent, the families that we talked to, we, we've talked to the Mannings and about how they're raising their children. And we talked to Michael Gervais, a, a world renowned sports psychologist, and all the families kind of try to advise people to take that path, let the child drive the conversation. So in your family growing up, was there ever a moment you had to kick the girls out and say, Hey girls, go practice, go work. Or was it really truly led by them? And you were just there as a guide, a mentor, help pick them up, help keep them organized did they really drive that ship from a young age? They were the ones that wanted to go to practice games. Um, but one of the things that their mom and I agreed to early on and told the girls was that if you make a commitment, you've got to go. Um, you've got other people that are relying upon you to be there. And uh, they had to, uh, make that commit them, commitment themselves. So they did miss a lot of things over the years because they made that commitment, which we think was the best thing for them. And when you say commitment, you're saying they made a commitment to a particular travel soccer team and it would cause that to be, or was there one sport that took, you know, you know, did you gravitate towards one sport was the tiebreaker if there was conflict or did that change as the girls' ages changed? Um. So it was always the, the sport of the season. So if yep. we were playing basketball, they were committed to basketball. Um, and that was over the winter usually. Now, um, there was soccer over the winter as well, but they had to have their commitment towards that sport for that season. Once they got a little bit older, though, um, and, you know, when I'm talking when they were 14, 15 years old, they really both um, had opportunities uh, with soccer that they had to take advantage of. And uh, we did have some conflicts that, you know, that, that caused, um, it wasn't problems, but it, it, we had to make choices at that point in time. And, uh, and the girls made the choice that I think worked best for them. Yeah, I think so. I think we could all, <laughs> I think we could all assume it worked out. I just think it's so important because so much of the conversation right now in youth sports and, and Sam, I'd love to hear your insight into this and perspective, but I feel like the pressure for kids to specialize to avoid the conflict, Bob, that you just referred to is now happening at a younger and younger age. So for example, I have a son who plays, who plays travel baseball and there is a fall component to it. We live in North Carolina. The weather is nice enough. You can play fall baseball up until say November but he also wants to play football, right? So there is that conflict in, in what you said about the seasonal, the seasons, the sport that's in season taking, taking, you know, priority over the out of season sport. So Sam, like when, when you were a young girl, until you got onto the, the U S national teams and your father said, you know, you're 14, 15, a little bit older, when you were a young girl, did you want to explore everything? Was there ever a point where a coach said, Hey, you're really good at soccer. If you want to stay on my AAU team, travel team, whatever it is, I need you more committed and tried to keep you away from basketball and swimming, or was it always something you were very free to go between every season? Yeah. I, if people were saying that, I think my parents shielded me from it. Um, that I'd be interested to hear if my dad ever experienced anything like that, but I remember, and I'm sure it was from age five to 15. I loved basketball. I think that 
one of the reasons why other sports was so good for me was because I was starting to get really good at soccer and there was so much going on. Am I going to get a scholarship? Am I going to get called into a youth national team camp? Am I the best player on the field all the time? There was this pressure from myself, but I think also from the people around other parents, coaches, just feeling like people were talking about it. So I, I felt like soccer, I needed to be good. And basketball was just fun. It was this kind of free space to dribble and do something different, use different muscles, have different, a little bit of different friends even. And I think it, those other sports were actually kind of a, a good reminder of sports being fun and being a release instead of being this constant pressure. Um, I always loved soccer and it was always my number one. Um, but I think that being able to play other sports actually helped me not get burnt out, not get like kind of too, uh, bogged down by the pressures of having that number one sport. I I think that's so important. And I think that's super interesting to hear you say, because you put so much internalized pressure and you were so good at soccer and the expectations were so high. And I want to talk about that in a second. I can, my senior in high school, I had already committed to go to the university of Notre Dame on a football scholarship. My favorite. And of course I loved football. It's always what I did. My dad was my high school coach, the whole thing, but my senior year in basketball and my senior year in track and field for the exact reasons you just said, were just a blast, right? I wasn't expected to be a division one player. The expectations of the team was not to win the state championship. I was just playing with my buddies and we were trying to figure it out. And if we won, we won. If we didn't, there was really no harm, no foul. Cause my basketball career was going to be over in a couple of weeks. I just think to hear you put it in that terms is, is super relatable as I sit here and kind of listen. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that too. So Bob, back to what Sam said earlier, did you shield her from a lot of that? Did you have coaches that approached you, whether it was her travel coach? I know you were involved in some of the coaching when they were young. So maybe they weren't getting it because you were a lot more hands-on and involved, but did you get a sense or any sort of pressure from any of these so-called travel coaches or these guys who think they know everything in this world to say, Hey, your daughter needs to go full-time. She's got to stop playing basketball, stop swimming, stop doing whatever else, or else she's going to ruin her chances. She's not going to maximize her potential. We hear that all the time. So um, let me, let me say one other thing before I answer that question. Um, her, their mother and and I felt it was best or better for the girls to be involved in other sports. Um, as Sam said, she used different muscles. She had different friends. There was a lot of advantages um, to being in different sports. So um, that's one thing I did want to add. On, to answer your question, though, there were times where we were approached um, by a coach or coaches to get a, a, be, a more commitment towards soccer at uh, one point in both of their careers. And, you know, we said, look, they, they're enjoying their time um, playing basketball, running track, swimming, um, doing something else. We want to let them enjoy the sport for the sport. Um, soccer was important to them. That was pretty obvious, but they, they had to have fun too. And, and that, became pretty important for us. So yes, uh, there were times where people pulled me aside and said, um, you know, don't let this pass you by or don't let something ruin your kids from, uh, for, for soccer, um, by playing some other sport. We, we, we talked to Cooper Manning the other day and his son is the number one football prospect of the last decade of, you know, his uncles are Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. He's been recruited by everyone. And Cooper said that exact thing. He goes, you know what my kid just loved doing? His team just won the, he came off the bench for his high school. He was a junior. He came off the bench and his team just won the state basketball championship. He goes, it was the most fun he's had all year. And it's just so funny to hear so many common threads from elite caliber athletes like yourselves. Everyone kind of tells the same story. Um, something I wanted to ask you, Sam, I had an older brother. He was one year ahead of me. He was my quarterback in high school. We both eventually went on to play at Notre Dame together. And then he transferred to Virginia and I went down to Miami. We went our separate ways, but from the time we were five to the time I graduated, he graduated high school at 18, we were always on the same team. And of course your sister, Christy, you guys were the first sisters to ever play on a U.S. women's national team, which just blows my mind that of a relatively small roster two girls from the exact same household made it, which is absolutely remarkable. And Bob, I'm, I want to get your 
thoughts on that because I can only imagine how proud you are to watch your two girls play, let alone together. But Sam, just talk a little bit about what that was like growing up together. Was there a competitive rivalry? Did one of you kind of, oh, I see your dad laughing. I think I just, I think I just picked a scab. Well, go ahead. I think, I don't think the question needs any more elaboration. Go for it. Um, yeah. So Christy, I think to this day, will say that the competitiveness only ever came from me being this little sister. I was always trying to be better. I was always trying to keep up. Um, and I mean, I think, yes, it's very safe to say we were competitive. We used to play like one B one in the backyard. We played at a, to, at a certain point, I started playing up on her town team, which I remember was like kind of a, kind of an issue um, with her and then just, I, you know, trying to like be friends with her friends, uh, club, we didn't play together, but we went into a few youth national team camps together. We actually made two youth world cup rosters together in 2008 and 2010. Um, and I think we fought like crazy growing up. And I do think it's because it was this, this really heightened soccer, not rivalry, but just like, we both wanted to be so good. We both wanted to be the best. And there was this kind of external pressure put on us, like in our high school years, especially. Um, but going through those, playing on those teams together, like the youth national teams, I think it was this eye-opening thing. Like, wow, we're actually a little bit closer to our childhood dream than we realized we'd ever get. Um, and so kind of, I think that Christie's success coming a little bit before mine always made me feel like I was closer than I ever knew I would be because I saw her make the national team and I was like, Oh, that's actually possible for somebody like us. Um, so her influence on me was like, obviously incredible. And even now playing on the same team is just the coolest thing ever. We're very close now. We don't really fight anymore, which is great. Uh, but I know, it dro- <laughs> I know it drove my parents crazy and there was definitely a heightened competitiveness for sure. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure your parents, I'm sure your parents are both thrilled to hear that you don't <laughs> fight anymore. Before I, I, I want to get back to your dad as we transition to something, but just one last thing on, on playing with your sister and whatnot, you brought up the external pressures, right? And you said, especially it was really heightened when you guys were in high school. I can only imagine what that was like having two national caliber players, sisters playing together. Like take us back to those years. Like how did you guys at such a young age, you're making national teams at 14, you you're playing, you're going to these elite camps all eyes are on you. I'm sure at your high school, you're the, probably the best athletes that have ever come through your school. Like at such a young age, what were those pressures and how did you handle them personally? Did you guys handle them collectively as a family? Like what was your family's approach to both internal pressures you put on yourself, but also external pressures that the community, the expectations that people put on, put on you girls. Yeah, I I would love to hear my dad's thoughts on how we handled that as a family. I think that partly our high school team, and and this is something that goes on in soccer actually, is that I think girls get pressure to not play high school soccer because they should be doing year-round club and year-round like academy soccer. And high school in some states and areas is looked at as more for fun but we played, we both played all four years of high school soccer. And I think that that was another example of not being so under pressure all of the time to be playing club and getting scouted and having it be like the end all be all. Our high school team was so important to us. We loved it, but it also was this element of like representing our town, being with the friends that we grew up with and kind of, like you said, getting to do that together and getting to have this more fun more relaxed environment to just continue to enjoy the game. Um, but I, I don't remember that much detail, but I would love to hear if my dad remembers having to handle as a family, any like pressures or I don't know if anything going on during that time when we were in high school. Not really. I mean, there, there was always the, just the feeling when we walked on to the, to the, into the stands um, everybody was glad to see that you girls were going to be there at that game um, because there were many times where both of them had to miss games for high school. So uh, there was always just that feeling, oh, good, the Mewis girls are here. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll... we're going to win. We're going to win. <laughs> um, but not a lot of pressure from the community at all. They were they were everybody was so supportive and and so happy uh, that the girls had so much success. 
Um, and, and their coach was just a, a terrific guy. Uh, he did a great job with, with our daughters and, and everybody that I coached in youth soccer and uh, all of their friends um, that played youth soccer in the town. He just did a great job with them. So I, I wouldn't say that there was pressure from, from anybody in the town, no. Well, that's awesome. And, and like you said, Sam, there's nothing better. Any, every person I've talked to, male, female, who's gone on to college, let alone professionally, everyone says, when you say, what were your best memories? If you asked me playing high school <laughs> football, winning the state championship with my dad, with my high school buddies, none of them went on to play in college other than me. We're still buddies to this day. Like there's something you said it playing for your town, wearing your school's name. Yes. I played in super bowls. You've played in world cups and Olympics. You've done everything in the soccer stratosphere, but here you are smiling ear to ear, thinking about thinking back playing for your <laughs> local high school town. I just think it's so important for people. Everyone wants to rush everything. Everyone wants to, I can't wait to get to high school. And then once they get to high school, uh, I, I can't wait to get a scholarship and get out of here and go play in college. And then every kid in college, I can't wait to get drafted and go play. Like everybody's in such a rush. And then they look back and they say, those were the best times that I ever had was playing on my sixth grade girls travel soccer team <laughs> and staying in crappy hotels, right? Like that's the yeah. best. Yeah, I know. I, I actually think that I would add similar to what my dad said. I think that, um, when we did start to have success and like you said, this, these were the, they were such awesome times. There was this, the community around us in at our high school, Whitman Hanson and the community within my club team, we were missing things all the time to go away to national team camps. I missed nationals with my club team, which was a big deal. We missed almost a whole season to go to a youth world cup, but these were the people when we were young that believed in us first. And these communities of people from my club team, from my high school team, the parents, the coaches, they, they thought I'd make the national team before I ever knew I, that that was even possible. You could ask my, my high school coach and he would have said, I knew the second I saw her, she was going to make the national team. And for him to have believed in me and for those communities to have believed and supported us so soon at such a young age, I look back on that and I'm like, the loyalty and the belief is so cool to have had. And so my experiences were just so enriched by, by those people. And I look back and I know I was supported in that way immediately. And that's one of the reasons why I did make it. That's, uh, that's so cool. And, and before we move on, there's, there's a lot of things that I still want to talk about, Bob, I got to ask you my first dad to dad of daughters. So I grew up with all boys, only boys. We played football. Both my other two brothers went to, we all played football in college. No girls. I have a daughter. She's nine. She plays soccer. She's good. She plays nine-year-old rec girls church soccer, right? I, by no means, by no means is she traveling around. Give me one piece of advice. I'm going to watch your first game of the season on Saturday, 8:30 a.m. I'll be there with my chair <laughs> on the sidelines. She asked me, Daddy, why don't you coach me? I said, Honey, because I can't teach you soccer. I will help you at home. I will hear what your coach says and try to implement that at home but I cannot offer you anything outside of just playing, you know, kicking the ball back and forth in the driveway. Give me one piece of advice I can cling to, to take with me on the start of this nine-year-old girl soccer season and hope and hold on to that. You think I should know dad to dad, give it to me. Let the coaches coach. Love that. Good. Absolutely. Cause I'm, I'm the guy in the chair I'm, I'm in the middle of the field because I get there before anybody else. <laughs> and I set up my folding chair and I'm a lot of, and my wife's like, why aren't you like this at the boys games? I'll be like, and other parents that like have boys that are on our baseball teams or our flag football teams. They're like, where's this guy at our flag game that like, I'm obviously coaching and you know, getting the boys and tell, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I said, I don't even know. I said, I love going to my daughter's soccer games because I'm just the dad. I'm just a dad. So I think I, I, the part I want to segue into is I, I know you played a, a big role with the girls when they were young, coaching some of their teams and whatnot. So wh I know the challenges that I face coaching my boys teams in, in baseball and in basketball and football sports that I'm a little more familiar with. We spend a lot of time with them, their friends, other families. There's, you know, there's that struggle. My dad coached me and my brothers all the way through high school. For 40 years, he was a public high school football coach in New Jersey, coached all three of his boys. 
there's a big struggle between coaching your kid and being the parent of your kid. Like, I would just love to hear your perspective on that as you think back, things you would have done differently, things you would have done the same, things that you loved, things that you didn't love. Like, I would just love to hear your perspective on your time coach trying to balance being a dad and a coach for your two young girls. Wow. Um, yeah, there, <laughs> there were some times where I was probably unfair to my daughters um, because I, I felt like I had to be unfair to my daughters. They, they got less playing time. Um, I actually had to referee a game because the referee didn't show up. And I had, I had to give Christy a yellow card during the game. So, yeah. um, So that's what I remember more than anything is that after the game, Melissa would ask me, how come you took Sam out with three minutes to go? And I would say, well, I want to get some of the other kids on the field and give them a chance to play too. Melissa would remind me, you can't be, unfair or uneven with your daughters just because you're the coach and you want to make it make sure it looks like you're you're being even with them so um that's the the biggest takeaway that i had uh, I, I i that is you sound like me talking to my wife where <laughs> i i just feel i i feel the exact same way i could not agree with you more and it was how my dad coached us He's like, if I'm ever, if anyone's going to sit up in the bleachers, they are never going to be able with a straight face to say, I was, I coached their kid harder or more difficult than I was willing to coach my own kid. So I like harbor a lot of that too. And I come home some nights and I say, you know what? Like I wasn't fair to my son. If it was anyone else's kid, I would have slapped them in the butt and said, Hey, good job, buddy. You'll get him next time. But because I almost overcompensate, you end up being unfair. So Sam, when you think back to those years, like, how do you remember it? Like, how, how would you say you and your sister remember those times when your dad was less, you know, obviously always your dad, but then he was also wearing that other hat as being your coach? Uh, yeah, I don't have that many. I have one memory of this. And it was, <laughs> it was, I was probably, I was young. Like I was playing like rec league soccer and I was scoring too many goals. And my dad would he like implemented this rule that if the goalkeeper put the ball down and the ball was in play, I couldn't just go steal it from her and score. And I was, I remember crying on the way home from the game and just being like, I don't understand why you won't let me play. But it was like, actually like getting awkward, like with the parents, I'm sure that I would just go run up and steal the ball from the goalkeeper and score. So I understand why my dad like had to do stuff like that, but (laughs) it didn't scar me for life or anything. I mean, I, I obviously still love soccer a lot. And I think my dad's influence on me and especially on my club teammates was like, we loved having him and he brought a lot to our group for sure. That's awesome. So, so, so give us some insight. So you, you and your sister, you're young, you're, you're developing, you're, you know, quote unquote, you're identified at an early age as quote unquote elite soccer players, both within your area and beyond. So what does that training look like? Are you, are you working with your dad in the backyard? Is it a mix of working out at home with your dad and your sister? Are you also going to like skill coaches is like, is it just teamwork with your travel team? Like what did that landscape look like? If I'm a family, if I'm a parent out there, right, I'm, I'm me and I have a nine-year-old daughter and she says, daddy, I want to be really good at soccer. Like, what do I do? What did Sam Mewis do like to become Sam Mewis? Yeah. I mean, it was everything you named. I think, I think another thing to just reiterate is that I led a lot of it. I always wanted to train in the backyard. Christy and I would pound down these patches of grass in the backyard. Christy broke the fence. We went through goals. Like we always were playing in the backyard. And then when we got a little bit older, it was, yeah, we had club practice this many nights a week, travel on the weekends. Um, Maybe we'd have a skills clinic or something on another night of the week. It was Really, we had ODP that was sometimes we'd have to drive two hours. We were traveling all the time. So it really was an all-consuming thing. We kind of said yes to a lot and always, I always wanted more. I I was never sick of it. I was never not wanting to go to practice. So I think it was a little bit of everything you named. You see it time and time again. Every kid that I've seen that's had the quote-unquote burnout, 
whether it was the kid in college who stopped training and just kind of went away, or even the kid who was the star growing up. And then by high school, you kind of never heard from him. The almost common denominator in all those factors, in all those cases, was that it was always parent-led. The parent wanted it more for the kid than the kid did, and they were forced to play a sport maybe their heart wasn't in. I see very few kids find the sport they love who want to do it and want to grind and they want to put the work in who one day say, I've had enough. I'm sure there's exceptions to that. But hearing you talk about it and hearing all of our other guests talk about it, when it's child-led and athlete-led and parent-supported, right? The kid's not doing it off on their own. There's always parental support, coaching support, trainers, whatever it is. But the key denominator is when it's kid-led, usually the outcome is significantly better. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'm so curious what you would say then, either of you, to a parent who is has a kid who is not leading the way and the, what should that parent do with that? So, I'll t- And again, I don't have all the answers, hence why we're doing You Think, right? We want to speak to people <laughs> like yourselves who've paved this path and your, and your father, Bob, and you know Dr. Gervais and Jerry Rice who raised two boys who both went on to play college wide receiver with Rice on the back of his jersey. Like talk about expectations. You know, so we're having these conversations with people who've been down this road, specialist sports psychologists to really get best practices both as parents, as youth coaches, as young athletes, the rule in our house that I have, when we come home, our number one question is, he's at practice right now. If you don't want to do this, please tell us. We don't need to fly to Houston for mommy and daddy and your two brother and sister to go spend three days. We, you don't need to do this for daddy. I don't care if you play football. I don't care if you join the chess team. I don't care if you're in the school play. He genuinely loves to compete. So we say, we'll be there to support you. You want to fly to Houston to go play 10 year old baseball. People think we're crazy, but we do it. I have my nine year old son plays local competitive baseball. We don't really go outside of the Charlotte area. We play other local travel ball teams every couple weekends, a little bit more, a little bit more of a controlled setting. And then I have a daughter who's just starting to come into her own. She's the most athletic of the family. She's tall. She can outrun her brothers. People see her at practice and like, what does she do? And we're like, we're working on it. <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> but again, if we threw her into a club soccer team right now, we'd scar her and she'd never go back. So she's just dipping her toe into, you know, rec soccer. The, my point is to answer your question in our house, if you don't want to go and you are not going to be into this, our family's not willing to make the investment, the time, the resource, the energy, the aggravation. We're not going to deal with it. We need to do what's in the best interest of each kid individually. Just because your brother did it doesn't mean you need to do it. And that's our approach. Now, I guess we'll see how it works out, but that's right now, to the best of our knowledge, the best way for us to approach it. I'd love to hear your dad's perspective. Yeah, well, we already we already talked about the fact that um Anytime the girls were asked to go off to a camp somewhere, we asked them right out front, right up front, are you sure you want to go? Because there was something they were going to miss every time they went to a training camp for a week or 10 days, there was something they were going to miss. So that was our first question. Um, are you sure you want to do this? But then, as I've already said too, it was okay. Well, once you say you want to go, that's a commitment you need to make um, to do that. You have to follow through on it. Um, so we weren't like pushing them out the door to go to practice or games or training sessions. Um, they were pulling us out the door to get us to take them there. And I, I think there's a, a big distinction that we need to make. Um, as you said, it has to be child-led. I think, and it's the perfect segue. And, and Bob, I'm going to start with you. I, I read a really interesting article. The girls were getting ready to play. I believe it was in the last World Cup. And you had a great interview and they talked to just about the girls growing up. And it was just a great piece on, on, on your family. And, and you had a quote in there where you talked about when the girls got to playing true competitive travel soccer. And similar to what we're starting to dip our toe into in the baseball scene, I think it's all very similar in that regard, it's very expensive. If you want your child to play in today's world, 
competitive athletics at a young age, whether it's girl soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, basketball, it doesn't matter the sport. And, and you were quoted as saying you were spending ten dollars to $12,000 per year per girl when they wanted to go follow their dreams and, and go to all these camps and academies. When you think back to those times, was there anything you were not willing to sacrifice as a family, you and your wife? Was there anything you guys weren't willing to do to help your girls chase their dreams? No, no, <laughs> quite literally. Um, would do anything if they wanted to go. Uh, we, you know, we have to write letters to the principals at the schools saying that we'll make sure the girls make up all their work. We'll make sure they do their homework. Um, as you say, financially, we had to come up with the, the funds that it took. Um, we went on all of those weekend trips, much like you're doing now. Um, and it was constant. Um, it, certainly in the spring, uh, every year it started as soon as the snow melted and it went through until the end of June. And it was the greatest times in our lives. There were lots of stressful moments, but, um, but it was the greatest times in our lives, honestly. So I was going to, I was going to just add dad, Please. but we always, we always drove. We all, me and my dad drove up and down the East coast so many <laughs> so tell times. Me, tell I, me about that. What, like, what is that? What is that road trip? You and dad look like going to a soccer camp, going to a soccer well, tournament. Yeah. Well, we'd go with my friend, Corey and her dad, who was good friends with my dad. Um, and we'd go pick them up in Norwood, Massachusetts. And we would just drive. We drove to West Virginia. It was like 12 hours. We drove home from Florida one time because it was like a snowstorm situation. <laughs> it was crazy. So I just remember even we would go all four of us as a family when Christy and I were playing the same tournament and Oh, it's my officially dad, halftime for the record. It's halftime. Oh, He's changing well, sweatshirts. Did, yeah. Did you see, did you see, he just put on his Gotham oh, sweatshirt. He, he, he gave me a heads up. Don't worry. That's why I didn't panic. I knew exactly <laughs> what he was doing. <laughs> oh my God. It's officially so halftime. If for just the listeners, my dad had on a Kansas City sweatshirt, he's halftime, and he just took it off and put on his Gotham sweatshirt, which is my sister's club team. Um, so it's a proud pop. Yeah, yeah. So we would just drive, we would drive sometimes as a family, sometimes with my teammate of mine and her dad. And I remember we'd get back Sunday nights at 3 a.m. and we'd all get up and go to work and school the next day. And we just did it. And I mean, we all wanted to, I'm sure my dad was exhausted. He was the only one who ever drove, but it was, it was crazy. But I mean, it was so much fun. And again, it was one of the reasons why Chris and I had so, so much success. I, I, anyone who's not like, if, if any of our listeners right now are not yet at the age where your children now are starting to like venture into this travel and whatnot, there is no great, more exhausting, but more <laughs> like invigorating experience than taking your child to some sort of like competitive environment that they're like dying to go to. They live it, they breathe it, and they want to go compete against the best kids in the country. And then to go live those highs and lows and like stress about every at bat or stress about every goal or like there is, you come home on Monday and it's like you poured your entire life onto the field. And all you did was sit there and clap. <laughs> it's a, it's a wild weekend, isn't it? It sure is. Oh, uh, I it's remember. so good wanting to to uh to talk about it a little bit on the ride home but that was like kind of one of those things we didn't do um it was all right we're in the car we're driving home you girls do your homework um and we'll be home in 12 or 13 hours so keep going <laughs> so so what would you guys say and bob i'll start with you if i'm a parent listening and i'm saying you're crazy i'm not doing that with my 12 year old daughter or my 13 year old son. That's crazy. I want them home. I don't want to sacrifice that as a family. What would you say to them? I, and I know it's, you know, they'll say, well, it's easy for you to say both your daughters turned out to play professional soccer. So let's just assume right now your girl's career stopped in high uh, college. Would you think back and think of it any more, any differently? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I mean, we, we lived for it as much as the girls did, honestly. Totally. Yeah. 
uh, just um, we have we have friends that we made in those years that we still communicate with, we still talk to, we still see, um, and the the experiences that we went through just fantastic. We had a a great time doing it. And Sam, I'd pose the same question to you. I get people that ask me a lot, and I, I said this on one of our previous pods that we we had. I said, if people really thought youth sports was an investment for their child to get a scholarship or to go play professionally, then youth sports as an institution should just end. Like, it, it, that's not what this is all about. If every kid who played youth sports, if the only ultimate goal was to make it a career, everyone's wasting their time. There's millions of little girls running around soccer fields right now. Not everyone's going to be Sam and Christy Mewis, right? Like, it, and so I guess when you think back to those days, like, and I'd ask the same question I just asked your dad, let's say your career ended in college and, and you never went off to make the women's national team and play in, you know, Olympics and gold medalists and, you know, uh, world cup. And would you change anything you did in your childhood? No, I, not at all. I think I, again, I think it was so much fun for our family. First of all, my dad and I did a long drive recently and we talked about the old long drives we used to do. Like, I think <laughs> that some of the memories that my family has from our travels and our trips away are so cool. And then like my dad said, I have friends from high school and club soccer from these crazy times. I just saw some of my old Scorpions teammates just in December or January, just now. And we're 29 years old now. Um, I think also, I mean, youth sports in general develops kids. You learn leadership, you learn teamwork, you learn that it's important and it makes you feel good to, to run around and to be active. I think I learned to kind of accept and embrace my body and to love what it could do when I was really this tall, dorky, like 13 year old girl sports showed me that I was powerful and strong yeah. and that I could love my body. So, I mean, I'm a, the biggest proponent of how good sports and teamwork are for kids. And I think that, um, it becoming a career is like a whole nother, we could have a whole nother podcast about that. Right. It's, it's wild, but, um, I, yeah, my experience was incredible. I wouldn't change it for anything. Well, that, that segue was perfect. Cause the last segment, before I let you guys go, I was going to touch on youth sports as a life skills mechanism, right? It's, it's such, it's the ultimate vehicle for teaching young children life lessons. And, and you touched on a lot of them there and, and your father's touched on them throughout the, you know, keywords, buzzwords, commitment, sacrifice, right? I, the one word that might jump out to me from just hearing your story and hearing your background of what, what your family went through sacrifice, right? You sacrifice maybe things that you could have done with your friends and your family sacrificed maybe money they could have spent to go on a nice vacation, but instead you drove from Florida in a snowstorm, right? Like sacrifice, <laughs> adversity, overcoming failure, dealing with success, dealing with pressure, anxiety. I mean, we can go on and on about the lessons that, that youth sports has. And, you know, we just heard you without even being prompted, talk about that. And so Bob, I'd love from your perspective as a parent, and again, you have the ability of hindsight now, and you have, you know, older daughters that have achieved so much when you were going through it as a parent and as a youth coach, like what were the life lessons and the life skills aside from the soccer? I always tell our families on our team, 90% of what we do here has nothing to do with the sport, right? Like what were those things in, in your mind, not only with your girls, but the teams that you coach, the other girls that you coach, like what were those lessons for you as a dad and as a coach? Well, I, this, this will go back to before Christy and Sam were born. I coached high school girls soccer. Uh, and I remember arguing with the writer of the school newspaper that the girls team should get as much press as the boys team did. And, and that was the lesson for me back then that said, um, girls can, can participate in sports and can learn all the same things that boys can, uh, and in many cases, learn a lot more about themselves. So um, I think that we tried to teach that to Christy and Sam as they went along, that it's okay to be competitive, it's okay to be tough and aggressive, it's okay to show that you wanna win and that you're sad if you lose. So those things are all okay because it taught them lots of things about being a woman today. And I'm very proud of both of them for the women that they have turned out to be. 
And I, I just, I don't think you could have said any better. So I don't even think I'm going to try to echo any of that. Again, as a father of a daughter, to hear you talk about building strong women and building a daughter who's going to stand on her own two feet and show it, that it's not just for the boys to fight. It's not just, I don't mean literally, but like to compete, to want something, to push for it. Like that is not just reserved. And it sounds very similar in our house with, with when I talked to my daughter about the boys, I said, you don't need to take a backseat to them. You, you go out there and go, and I don't care whether you play basketball or not, just go beat them up. You know what I mean? Like I, so to hear you give that perspective and have the ability of hindsight now to have two grown daughters who've, who've accomplished and come down this road a lot further than mine has. I just think there's so many parents out there, not, not only of daughters, but of sons who can really relate to that. So, um, the last thing I, I got three things before I let you go, we kind of call this our three before you go segment and, th- and this will wrap. And again, thank you guys so much. Sam and Bob Mewis here on you think this conversation, I, I could have talked to you guys for six hours, but I know you have a lot more things to do. So, uh, Sam, I'm going to start with you. You know, what is something in youth sports that you wish was around or wish that you knew then as a young girl that you now have the ability in hindsight to look back on knowing now? Oh man. Um, we get deep here. You think? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are so many opportunities for girls in all sports. Now, um, I look at some of the up and coming girls on the national team and I see that they're, um, going overseas before college or deciding to play pro before college. I think that's such an interesting dynamic in girls soccer that's happening right now. Um, we just spoke about how I loved all my experiences and wouldn't change them. And I wouldn't. So to, to dumb it down a little bit, if I had access to film as a kid, I think I would have ate that up. I, I devour my film now. I love watching clips back. I love watching my games back, realizing where the space is. Um, and I think as a kid, I, I had so much time and I had so much passion for the game that I would have just loved that and would have loved to learn from that when I was younger. But I, I didn't really have access to it. <laughs> well, no. And, and again, things change. And, that, and that's kind of the point is like, how do we learn from the past? to improve the access. And, and just real quick to follow up on that, before I go to your dad for the second question, expand a little bit about, I, I find that interesting. And I'm sure our, our viewers are going to find it interesting. Those who aren't in this space, what, what is that path now in 2022 versus the path that you took, you know, years back, what is that path for a young competitive girl in soccer? So same. So my daughter's 12 years old. And she's been identified, okay, there's some national invitational. She can go to some camps. Like, what does that path look like from 12 all the way through those different national teams to say, all right, one day you have an opportunity to make the roster on the women's national team. Is it the same path you took? Is it vastly different? Like, again, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I just find when you said that it's very interesting. Yeah, there's lots of options. And, and. Now, what I think it's a testament to the women's game now that it is a viable option to not go to college. And you could, if you, and there are girls doing it who are going to make great money doing this and their decision to not go to college was a good one. Um, I think, especially at the time, I loved my college experience. I learned a lot. I kind of had to learn to be a, a grown up. Um, and I think that college really helped me, helped me with that. My dad's laughing at that one. Um, but I think that, <laughs> the way the game is changing is just making it a more reasonable financial situation for girls to go straight to being a professional. Um, I think starting out at 12, yeah, if you're getting invited into camps with the national team, you're obviously going to start looking at colleges in a few years. Um, and I think that both options are, are great as long as you're kind of following what your values are and what's important to you. And, and Bob, to, to expand on that real quick, cause I think this is super valuable conversation what would you say to a parent out there who might have a 12 year old daughter, a 12 year old son, doesn't matter. That's now getting it. They're still in sixth grade, seventh grade. They're still young by, by most standards. How do they make the decision? I think so many families say, is it too early? Like, how would you advise another family coming down a similar path to you to know when it's ready to say yes to that camp, when it's ready to say yes to that very competitive travel team that's been trying to get your daughter for a few years, but maybe you've pushed back and you didn't think it was ready. Like, is there a magic age? Is there a mat? Is it kid dependent? Like just as a parent and as a coach, someone who's been through it, what would you tell those parents now that are in that time period where it's time to decide, all right, we either go all in here and we take it serious or we continue to stay on the current path. Like, 
I feel like that's a decision and a con and a conflict that a lot of families out there have in all sports. So I, you know, I can only speak to what our experience was. Um, and, and it was, I believe it was when the girls were both 14 that it, it came to a point where um, we had to finally decide to stop playing town soccer um, at the youth level and go strictly with club soccer. Um, and I think that was more or less a rule in Massachusetts, but it was probably a good time because it had gotten to that point with both of them that um, they, while they loved being with the kids that they grew up with, um, they were gonna learn more by switching over to the club soccer level at that point in time. You know, they had gone past the town coach's ability to teach them anything. And if they were going to get go any further, they needed to get a good coach who could teach them more. So, um, you know, it's when, when the training has matured enough that the player is ready to take the next step. Um, I think that's such great advice. The way I'm hearing it is you need to make sure that the situation and the circumstances fit the needs and the abilities of each individual child. And maybe that age happens at 12, maybe it happens at 15, but when that time is right, where they need more, right? There's this, there's this expectation that their abilities are ready for it. They're mature enough mentally and physically that to service those needs, you cannot continue to do it at that local level. I just, I, I see it happening in all sports. I see it happening and as young as 10 and 11 years old back here by us in North Carolina in both soccer and you know baseball and whatnot where the parents are having this debate where I either play local rec and it's fun and it's not overly time consuming and my kids are playing with their school friends, but then there's that pocket of kids, right? Like your two daughters who are very advanced and they need more, right? You need to enrich them. They need to be filled a little bit more. The bucket needs to be filled. And you're in this battle where it's in their best interest developmentally as far as soccer goes to put them in a more competitive environment. But maybe they're not playing with their friends anymore. Maybe now their weekends are busy driving up and down the coast of, of, of you know, the United States. Like, I think that's a very real conversation happening in a lot of families' households as we sit here tonight. Totally agree. Um, you know, I mean, even, even in our day, there, you could see that there were parents that were pushing um, girls beyond the point that the girl was willing to be pushed. Um, so it, at times you felt like it was very sad because you could almost understand that these parents were counting on getting a scholarship to go to college and hadn't made any other plans for anything else. So um, I can't imagine what that was like for the, for the player. The, the girl at that point in time, because it just must have put an awful lot of pressure on her. Well, I'm going to leave you each with one more quick question. I'm going to let you go again. This is, this has been fascinating and, and just so relevant to all the conversations going on. So Sam, one last thing for you, and then I'm going to end with you, Bob. So Sam, you're talking to a little girl out there. My nine-year-old daughter's listening to this. Someone else's 10-year-old, 12-year-old, whatever it is. Little boy or girls out there listening to this. They love soccer. They just love youth sports in general. And they say, all right, Sam, tell me, tell me the best approach. Tell me the path. Just talk to my nine-year-old daughter right now and say one piece of advice you'd love for her to hold on, not kick with your left foot, not just an approach, a mentality to move forward, whether it's in soccer or ballet or whatever it is, like what would be that one little nugget you'd love to leave them with? Yeah. If they love the game as much as I did and do, then, or if they love ballet as much as I love soccer, it's do, do the work on your own. Do always do extra, do more than other people. And your, your practice and your hard work will, will pay off. I think doing extra reps away from your team, extra reps on your own, you learn, you learn on your own and you learn in this new way. And as long as you're not forcing yourself to do something you don't enjoy, I mean, it's going to, just make you more comfortable do it, doing the sport and and give you that confidence that you've done all the work that you can. 
I love that. And, and Bob, I'm going to give you a similar question to end on. You're out there, you're talking to all the parents that are listening to this and they have a son or a daughter who's either just starting out and they're just getting introduced to T-ball or little, you know, rec based soccer or whatever it is, or they might have a middle school or a high schooler who's looking at college, looking to kind of take that next step competitive. What would be one piece of advice you'd love that parent to carry away from this conversation, both in their approach with their child as parents, their approach through youth sports, maybe something you wish somebody told you when you were in those shoes, what would you love to leave them with today? It it goes back to the things that we've already talked about, which is um, let the, let the child lead, let the child tell you that they want to go as opposed to you forcing them to go Um, celebrate when they do want to go and enjoy the time that you have with them. It can, it could all change very quickly. So you don't want to make it, uh, an unpleasant thing for the child at all. You want them to enjoy it because you just never know what can happen moving forward. And um, both people have to enjoy that part of it. Well, I think that, I think that about sums it up. And and let me just tell you as a father, and again, my my children are a little bit younger. We're a little earlier in this journey than you guys are. It's just incredible. Like I, I hope one day, my daughter's that excited to see me join a call with her every time you talk to see her <laughs> smile. I, I genuinely mean that. Like, again, we're, you guys are in two different places. You're in two different, I don't know where exactly you are, Sam. I know Bob's back home in, in Massachusetts, but like to see you guys smile when each other brings back memories to see how fondly you remember this youth experience and growing up and coaching and girl soccer or whatever the sport was like it. I hope one day my three kids think back with the same fondness. And when they hear their dad reminisce about the memories, it causes them to smile. And I hope one day my daughter looks back at the time we spent, whether it's in soccer or whatever it is. Like, I just, I I hope you guys realize just how, how amazing that is. Your stories and inspiration, Sam, what you and your sister, Christy have accomplished is remarkable. It's hard work. It's dedication. It's having unbelievable support, support from your family and coaches and community and that's exactly what you think is. And, and for you guys to come here and, and open up and share a little bit about your story and share a little bit about your journey, the ups and the downs, um, has just been an, an absolute pleasure. So I, I just want to thank you guys both so much for joining us on You Think and helping us carry this conversation into the future. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much for having us, Greg. Oh, you're very welcome. And in May, Snacks comes out. So hopefully everybody checks out your podcast. I'm sure yep, your dad's already you subscribed. I'm sure your dad's oh, already yeah. subscribed, dad, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate your time. This was really special to hear, to be able to see you uh, speak about your girls and uh, think back fondly on those memories. And Sam, wish the best to your sister. I hope you guys have a great season. Can't wait to watch you guys on the national team and uh, represent our country. It's super cool. Thank you very much. Thank Fred. you. Really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. No, so. thank you guys. It was a blast. You guys take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You know, I really enjoyed that conversation for, for a lot of reasons, but you know, the, the entire time I, I, I could see, you know, it, on the video, Bob Mewis and Sam Mewis kind of their facial expressions and how they reacted to what each other were saying, or, you know, I would, I would watch, Sam, as her father would tell a story of the two of them driving up and down the East coast to soccer games and just see her light up and to see her smile and, and, and just see how much she's thinking back fondly of those memories. And then vice versa, you know, I could see the pride on Bob's face when Sam was talking about her and her sister, Christy, and the amount of hard work and sacrifice, um, their parents made for them to kind of reach their ultimate goal of, of, of being professional soccer players. And, you know, being the, being the father of a daughter, you know, I mentioned this to him. I said, like, I hope one day my daughter thinks back and it doesn't have to be through sports or it could be through just taking her for ice cream or just, you know, event, you know, moments that we share together. I think every father's dream is to just be able to sit there and listen to your daughter, your son, just speak so fondly about all the time and the energy and the love that you poured into their life. And and, and, and aside from all the fascinating stories of them telling about, you know, how they balanced high school soccer and the clubs and the national teams and the amount of school that like, oh, there were so many interesting storylines with, within the conversation. But 
the big picture takeaway for me was, God, I hope one day my kids think back and speak about moments we shared, tournaments we went to, events, weekends, just car rides in the family and think back so fondly and with so much love and just so much appreciation because you could see it pour out of Sam when she spoke about her father and the time they spent together. So I, that, I couldn't help, but the entire time I listened to it, just kind of replay that through my mind, like, man, I hope in 20 years from now, this is how my kids would speak about, you know, my wife and I, and, and our experiences raising them and the ups and the downs that, that goes along with, with, with not only youth sports, but just parenting in general. And, you know, I, I just found that so fascinating to be able to kind of see that go on in real time with the two of them on the call together. Um, and then, and the last thing that, that really brought a lot of, you know, what I thought was super relevant to this conversation. And again, something that I apply now, you know, as I think back on, on, on all these things and how they affect how my wife and I parent our three children was when Sam said, you know, the reason I played basketball was not because I was going to be a college basketball player. She was the reason I played basketball was because I wasn't going to be a professional basketball player. It was my break. You know, to hear her talk about her and her sister and every time they'd step on the, on the, on the pitch, you know, in soccer that all eyes were on them and there was pressure and this was college recruiting and I got to make the national team and, you know, I'm going to an academy, I'm going to a, there was such pressure. That was their, that was almost like their job from an early age. She goes, but when I played basketball, no one knew me as Sam Mewis, the basketball player. So it was kind of a refreshing break. It was a time I could just go play with my friends, no expectations, no pressure. And it was like an escape from what otherwise was a very intense sports experience when it was time to play soccer. And I just thought that was such an important lesson and such an important kind of perspective that families can apply. You know, maybe you have a child who's, spe- who's very, very you know, good in one particular sport, but if they never can step away from that sport and year round, that's all they do is just train for it and think about it and talk about it. And they never get just like a much low key, a more low key, less intense, stressful environment. Maybe that's what they need, right? It doesn't need to be at the same level as their other sport. But I just thought that was such a great point that Sam brought up that I, that I, I brought home with me and I'm like, all right, this is something to keep in mind. Now when my kids get older, like there isn't a balance to all of this. There is a social component to all of this that, just allows your kid to take a deep breath and not feel like the entire world is on their shoulders every time they take part in a sporting event. So I I love that conversation. Sam was amazing. You could tell she's so energetic, her passion for the, for the game, her passion for life kind of jumps through in the conversation and, and just a proud Papa that, that Bob was, and just listening to him reflect on, on the moments they had. it, It was, it was a really special conversation. It was it was so important and so relevant to the journey that we're on here at You Think. And uh, I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, again, a conversation with Sam Mewis and Bob Mewis, um, a conversation brought to you by our presenting sponsor, our proud partner in this whole journey into youth sports with Invisalign and Audiorama. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening to You Think. We encourage you guys to go and rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Please go check us out. You can follow us on social at Youth Inc. Um, We love hearing from you guys. We get questions. We get direct messages. We get comments, conversations that you guys would love to see us explore here on Youth Inc. So please engage with us, ask us questions, help direct this conversation. Every week we we get questions in the comment box. We get direct messages. We get, you know, certain recommendations for what families want to see the conversation gravitate towards. Um, And you never know, maybe one day your question your advice, your comment will make it here on the show. So we encourage you guys to continue to follow along, engage with us and take this journey along with us because every episode we are learning new things here at You Think and we hope you guys are feeling the same. So thank you guys again for following along. Thank you guys so much for listening and uh, we can't wait to see you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.